0: Brief, a strategic guide on how to not be an asshole at work. We'll tell you about bad bosses, how they can be handled, how to tell if you happen to be one. An executive and an executive coach, both artists working in advertising and marketing for more than two decades, are here to advise you on the ins and outs of office environments. The Bad Boss Brief is your ultimate guide to navigating any employment landscape. Here are your hosts, Eugenius Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. Hey, welcome to Bad Boss
1: Brief. I am Stephanie Payrolo.
2: And I am Eugenius Robinson.
1: And today. To you do? Okay, good. Good to know. <laughs> uh, it's episode 10. Can you believe we're at episode 10 already? Uh, I I yeah.
2: Ten. guess Ten wonderful episodes. If you've missed them, you can go back and see them.
1: Yeah, we actually just moved to um, Substack. We're consolidating everything at Substack, so you can go back and find that and hopefully start participating in notes. Stay tuned for additional cool stuff that we're going to do. But today, we are going to talk about the cost of sexism. And we decided to do this for two reasons. One, (laughs) no one sent in any suggestions, so just a reminder, if you want us to talk about something, WTF at Mm badbossbrief.com. But the second Mm -hmm. reason is there was some compelling news. So two news items got us thinking about this. The first, as you may have heard, former President Donald Trump was convicted by a jury in a civil case of sexually abusing and defaming E. Jean Carroll. And she was awarded $5 million. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm referring to my notes here for those that are watching the video because sexual abuse and defamation was a, it sounds like sort of a, a middle ground. Uh, mm-hmm. Eugene Carroll has accused Trump of rape. He ha- They gave the jury three different options of what to convict him on, rape, sexual mm-hmm. abuse, or I think it's the third one's like forcible touching. So mm-hmm. they went for the middle ground, but they did go ahead and say that he had defamed her in posts on Truth Social. And it seemed as if his reaction was to turn around and defame her further, right? Yeah. So working with impunity.
2: Yeah, it's amazing to me that there was even any discussion that her legal team had to had to go public with a statement indicating that they were thinking about suing him. You know what? It's if you want to play ATM. (laughs) <laughs> if you want to play ATM, I, I'll i sue you every day of the week if that's what you like, if that's a game that you like to play. Because guess what? I've got $5 million right now. I can hire good legal counsel. And like I said, from the beginning, me as E. Jean Carroll, it was never about the money for me in the first place. So see you in a court again. Keep it up.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But the one that I wanted to to spend a little more time on is on May 8th, Goldman Sachs said that it would pay $215 million to settle a class action lawsuit that the bank discriminated against thousands of women who worked there. Yeah. And this goes back quite some time. Yeah. So before we get all excited that Goldman Sachs has a $215 million reward, let's just do the math, right? So if mm-hmm. we're costing, mm-hmm. talking about the cost of sexism, what I'm looking here is the cost to individual women and the Mm -hmm. cost to society. So there were about 2,800 women who participated in this class action lawsuit, right? It was brought by, I think, three women. But then then when they opened it up to class action, they had 2,800 women. So let's do the math. Lawyers typically take a third. Then Mm -hmm. you divide that between the rest of the women, and each Mm -hmm. one will receive roughly $50,000, Okay, yeah. so $50,000, yeah. hey, it's better than a poke in the eye with a sharp stick, right? $50,000 is is great. But let's look at what that means for these women. Okay?
2: I guarantee you, were they still to be employed at Goldman Sachs, fifty k does not come close to touching the bonuses they would have gotten just pro forma.
1: Exactly. And yeah. the, when you look at this, so the women, in order to be part of this class action, they had to be more senior than an associate vice president, right? So AVP... Fairly senior, and they were told what they what they won. The judgment was that they uh, Goldman Sachs held back women's career advancement through a performance review system that favored men. So the women lost mm-hmm. out on promotions and they lost out on raises. So these were the highest earning women, probably in the world. Right? These are the mm-hmm. women that mm-hmm. can actually make mm-hmm. some money. And then if yep. you look at it, if you if you look at how much money it would take. So let's say that. One of those women was working at Goldman Sachs in 2003, and Mm -hmm. she got a bonus of $50,000, Right, Mm -hmm. which from what I understand is really low. That's like you you performed, you showed up to work, you didn't get fired. If she put that into a savings account that it had a 5% return, she would now have $135,000 in that bank account. That's just putting in fifty thousand. So three x, right? Three x. And we would assume that a woman that is working at Goldman Sachs is going to have sufficient financial knowledge to understand how to make her money work for her. and so the 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 earnings lost, the potential missed by those women in the class action lawsuit is pretty significant,
2: yeah, yeah, it, it is, you know, but you, you know, and I'm sure <laughs> I've had friends who worked at Goldman Sachs, and um women I know who worked at McKinsey and it should be known that they routine they treat their their it's like the worst hazing system in the world unless you are, unless you're a full partner, you're treated like dirt and they fully expect 93 percent of you to wash out. So the seven percent that that distinguished themselves had to put up with a pretty egregious behavior all along. The problem with the, the women issue is that it it kind of accreted around. Expected in typical tropes, like they're abusing everybody, but they're not abusing everybody by, hey, nice legs. They're not doing that to everybody, right? They're just doing that to women, right? Hey, hey, let's go on a let's go on a company camping trip. You show up, and it's just your boss. They're not doing that to everybody. They're just doing that to the women, right? And it becomes part of the routine policy, of course. Like that, when those who are hazed become in a position to haze, then they're 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 equally uh, assholes, and people are, are loath to say anything. Because the amount of money is incredible. My friend who worked at, at McKinsey for like five years, dedicated five years of her life to McKinsey, and at that point, you know, pocketed a cool 20 mil, c'est la vie, All
1: right? Well, and this is the thing that I, that I was thinking about is when you look at this on the individual women level, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, in my experience, I have lost jobs because I have been harassed out of them, right? Whether it's yep. actual yep. sexual harassment, if it's just a hostile place to women, if it's ageism- mm-hmm multiple reasons, right? And again, I've had mm-hmm. three of these lawsuits settled in my favors for various mm-hmm. bad behavior. What I noticed is that the personal cost on me was, was there were a couple of things. One was, it's it's so stressful, right? Yeah. Like it, the, the, the health impacts, the impact of your body on being that stressed every day, walking into a hostile work environment day after day, you know, I'm a, uh, you know, was a single mom for the entire time my kids were growing up. I don't, my family does not, I don't come from money. Um, I'm one of those people where if like there's a, your car breaks down and you need a thousand bucks to fix it, you best figure out how you're going to get that thousand bucks. Cause there isn't, you know, a yep. relative to call. And I think, you know, the other challenges is, is that when I've, when I have had these situations where I've left a job, even if I got mm-hmm. some sort of a settlement, it really mm-hmm. wasn't much. By the time I paid my lawyer, yeah. by the time, yep. and then it would take me a while to get back to work. One, yep. I was exhausted. A lot of times, I needed to take a few weeks or a couple of months just to kind yep. of, you know, like get my head on straight. Then I needed to go look for work, yep. right? And it's it's hard to look for work when you are emotionally exhausted. It's hard yep. to look for work when you have had this traumatic work experience. You know, and that's just,
2: not even touching how you explain your exit. <laughs>
1: Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I know, I mean, you know, Seattle is a large metropolitan area, but the group of people that work in advertising in Seattle is, it's like a tiny neighborhood with four streets. Everybody knows somebody who knows somebody, right? Which is great if you have a good reputation, right? But it's challenging if something gets out there. Like, I remember my first settlement, this was in the 90s, right? So this was a long, long time ago. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, I could take what they're offering and sign their NDA, which means I can Mm -hmm. never say how much money they gave me, or I could sue them. And immediately Mm -hmm. I was like, if I sue them for sexual harassment, I will never work in Seattle again. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that. I was in high tech, right? I was in a startup um, working over in Bellevue, again, another teeny small neighborhood. And I knew that I I couldn't sue. And that makes me sad now looking back at, yep. you know, 30, early 30s me, right? That's the yep. age of my yep. daughter now. The yeah, idea right. that she was so oppressed in the system that she yep. knew, she, she believed she could not have legal recourse,
2: Yeah,
1: right? That yep. that just, it messes with your head in a way. And my concern yep. is that there are women who experience this at Goldman Sachs who left the workplace altogether, mm-hmm. right? And not mm-hmm. because they had a dream to pursue to, you know, be a kindergarten teacher or, or work at a nonprofit, that may very well be, but because they they were so burned by that particular system that they
2: can't participate anymore. You know, institutionally, uh, it, 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 it hues to a friend of mine uh, actually was forced to go into the Marines by the court. And uh, so he was in the Marines and I saw him this first break and I go, "How how, how is it? He goes, well, it's kind of, kind of a little bit rough, you know. But it's better than prison, which were his choices, and um, and he told me a story about a guy who was not hanging very well, um, started to have mental health issues, and then fundamentally ended up killing himself. Mm. And I go, I bet that was a wake up call. He looks at me like, what do you what do you mean? And he's like I bet you know the drill sergeants say, uh, you know, backer he goes no 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 they they piled on now the guy was gone they piled on as a cautionary tale if you are you worthless piece of garbage don't end up like that fat sob and so i start to think that you know $215 Two hundred fifteen million dollars is not enough to get the attention of the executives at Goldman Sachs in any way, shape, or form. Right, and they, they got they got an insurance policy to cover that. I don't I don't think that's enough to force institutional change. And the thing is, it is counter good business. It is just. Bad business. I mean, let's forget about the feelings and the and the and the philosophical aspect of whether or not we should. It's just it, it is just bad business, <laughs> uh, and I guess they just build that into the system because why not?
1: Well, and I think what's interesting is like you look at it bad business in multiple ways, right? So you know, we all know, or you all should know, that it's very hard for women to get funded for venture capital, right? M- even harder still for women of color. Now, there are a number of women, some of whom I know or know of, who could be great at, mm-hmm. at starting a business, who could give great value, who could employ people, who have really good ideas. They can't get money, whereas, you know, there are other founders who have gotten a lot of capital who have proven yeah. to be um, not great at what they do. You know, yeah. I've, I've seen all the shows on WeWork. I've read all the things, you know, it's like yeah. there's, there's yeah. kind of a classic a classic example those women don't have an opportunity to to do that, and to build our economy and to provide opportunities. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. and when you look at that, it's the same thing with these big companies. I mean, you know, I work with with people who are leading organizations that use creatives, right? They make cool mm-hmm. shit. That's what I say. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you are if you're like a Disney or you know any company that is relying on some form of genius in the people that work yep. for you. Uh, And and you are taking half of the world, like all of the female identified people and treating them badly, you're having a talent drain that's completely not necessary, right? It's an unforced error. And I think that's one of the things is like recognizing that. You know, you're you're missing out not just on like the, the dollars and cents of business, but any kind of R&D, any kind of yep. future endeavors, yep. any of yep. those kinds of things. You know, it's kind of like yeah. the like following the, the writer's strike now, you know, yeah. what's going to happen? Because I remember the last time there was a writer strike yeah. Yeah. in a few months, we're going to stop seeing anything that's scripted. Right. And I got through the pandemic watching really good scripted television. Right. And there's only so many things you can watch from other countries. Right. And so the idea of like, we're going to see that and it's going to be ongoing and it could last in, it could last for months and months. Right. It could have a really significant impact. And I feel like there are women in every industry who are going on strike without desiring to. Right. They just, they just can't stand being there anymore.
2: Yep. And and this is, I mean, I think Richard Pryor, Richard Pryor, actually in one of his more reflective moments, so later on in his career, okay. says something about you know it's hard enough to be a person, you know, just trying to deal. He was largely saying these existential issues. He goes, that then he's walking along, mind his own his own business, and somebody hurls some racial invective at him. He goes, and now I got to deal with this. <laughs> Oh, it's like it. It just being a person is tough enough without this. But you know what's interesting about this is that it indicates to me that it's not a casual belief, right? It's not a casual belief. It is actually a hard wired in, hard coded belief because they, it's not like they're aggressively pursuing it. But it is just, it is like Chris Rock at one point said when, when I interviewed him, he was like, you know, uh, there's stuff that passes between couples nowadays that were my grandfather alive or maybe he was alive but that if i tried to explain it to my grandfather would be completely crazy to him it doesn't compute with this world war ii era kind of mentality he can't understand it it's like going in and speaking some ersatz fake esperanto or something he does not understand it so i think that these these people who run these organizations you know it's just an acceptable cost of doing business and we're not going to change and you know, it's like I think I think what the the understanding is, why care about women because they're just gonna go get married and have kids and fuck off anyway and and, and that is like, what decade are you in? where 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 what decade have you been in? And I think people who share that kind of you know psychological monograph, have are they the all in the same decade, and that decade never changes. And that decade probably starts with the 1950s. And, but uh, the
1: thing uh, is, you know. and they're still in power, right? And and the ones that are doing, you know, performing these like sexism is right next door to homophobia, which is right next door to ableism and ageism, you know, all of these things. And it's just you know it was it was interesting. Um, I was reading this article today um, in the New York Times because, of course, you know about DEI, right? And what people and people like me who are consultants who work in just general consulting, but pers- particularly DEI consultants, they're mm-hmm. starting to use DEIB for belonging.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm reading this article because, of course, w- you and I are doing a Bad Boss Brief Live in Seattle, June seventh. June seventh. On, on the DEI lie. So I'm reading this article and I actually have heard of DEIB and the inclusion of belonging and have been using it with my clients for months now. But my mm. interpretation was it's not enough to hire people who have been disenfranchised. You need to go take go to some lengths to make them feel welcome. The people yes. that you hire need to belong, right? It's not enough yes. to just, you know, hire the black guy, keep him for, you know, eight months to a year and then, and then lay them off. driven out and then lay them off right? <laughs> for example, just making yeah. up an example, but, and so the idea is that, that organizations need to be intentional about how they're going to do retention. That's my understanding of DEIB. But according to the article in the New York times this morning, the B for belonging is to make white people feel better. Mm right? Mm. So belonging is means everybody's supposed to get to show up at work authentically and let's not make it into, you know, white people into villains. And we can talk more about this on June 7th, but it's, the thing is what I was thinking about with any of these issues. So I was at a, I was at a fundraiser for a a great nonprofit in Washington state called Team Child. Um, Mm -hmm. full disclosure, my partner works there, but so that's why I was at this, this Mm -hmm. fundraiser, right. Mm -hmm. And team child provides free legal services for youth in Washington state. So you need a lawyer because for whatever reason you can get a free lawyer through team child. So they're doing this great fundraiser. And this woman who's a lawyer who works with these teens is talking about her experience and her lived experience, how she ended up in this job. And she said, the criminal justice system is working the way it was designed.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
1: And this is after describing the racism, the just the the horrors, right, that you find in the criminal justice system and how badly these kids need need attorneys. And yeah. I thought about that that just kept echoing in my mind. Right. Because I do believe that the justice system is working as it was yep. supposed to yep. work. Right. Yep. And I feel like. Capitalism and corporate America is the system is working the way it was designed to work.
2: Well, you know, you know, it's interesting you say that, and I, I'm sorry to have gone generational there for a second, but the reality of it is that I'm always shocked when it's people from our generation or younger who are doing the same stuff. And I'm thinking about the guy from American Apparel. Um, I'm thinking about Shane uh, uh, from, uh, from Vice, right. who got kind of, uh, you know, shuffled off and replaced by Nancy DeBoo for you know, essentially running uh, a frat house. And um, I'm just, I'm I'm shocked at, I'm shocked that it, it seems to be something that's contagious enough so that you've got people who very clearly should know a whole hell of a lot better and are just doing the same stuff. It's like, you know, the guy from American Apparel walking around in the office in his underwear and uh, openly masturbating in the office, never at any point did this, you know, at the time when he got busted for it, was maybe in his late 30s, did it, did maybe, maybe he could have asked himself, saying, Hey, you know, I've worked at zero jobs where the boss has walked around in his underwear and masturbated with his door open. Am I, am I at a line here? <laughs> zero jobs where that's happened, but I'm going to be the first guy to make that happen. Come on. Right. Come and,
1: on. And he's, and he's the white guy that got the funding, that got the acclaim. Yes. So I want to, yes. I want to go back and do the practical tips. Cause I know people like practical yes. tips. Okay. So. I think one of the practical tips is, this is actually something I was told, I was at a a meeting in Seattle a few years ago before the pandemic, the in-person, and I was talking to a venture capitalist who was a woman. There aren't a lot of Mm. women VCs, and she's Mm. very respected. And she said, women are done with their peak earning years at the end of their 50s. Mm. And I was like, what are you talking about? Because I was in my 50s, and I wasn't ready to be done with anything. Mm. And she said, men are done with their peak earning in their late 60s. Women, generally, it's in their late 50s. Okay. Right? And I thought about it and I'm like, I don't know any other women in technology and advertising that I know personally that are our age that are still working. I don't know any. I know that they exist. I know that there are women at that age, but there aren't very many. And so mm. what I what I think is key is that if you are a woman, plan for the fact that your chief earning, your your peak earning is going to be in your 40s, And between 40 and 55, just Mm -hmm. plan for that, right? If you're pleasantly Mm -hmm. surprised otherwise and make money, right? So Mm -hmm. I've, I've talked to a lot of women over the years because I, you know, teach negotiation and there's a lot of very senior women who don't want to advocate for themselves, who have said Mm -hmm. something to me like, well, you know, I'm the CEO I'm the most highly paid person in the company. And like, As you should be, you're the CEO. And they're diffident about asking for more money in ways that men never are. And so, if you're in a position to make more money, make more money because you just let's assume that you won't be able to work past 55, right? You may be sexually harassed out of the work world. I hope not. The other thing that I think women forget is that, you know, women, particularly women who are married, maybe they have young children, the reality is a lot of marriages end in divorce. And almost mm-hmm. without exception, the, if it's a, you know, to, to a woman and a man being married, the woman ends up far worse off financially than she was before the mm-hmm. divorce and the man mm-hmm. ends up far better, right? And so one of the things that I think women make it did mistake, happen in my
2: case, but okay.
1: <laughs> but, but that, but you know, statistics show that. It certainly happened yeah, yeah,
0: in my yeah. case. Yeah, yeah. And,
1: you know, so- I think it's also recognizing that you need to plan just like, you know, if you're doing retirement planning, you're planning for what if I have an illness? What if my spouse has an illness? You, you try to think of the different scenarios. Mm. Women, please, you need to plan financially for what happens if your husband is not there because he mm. leaves and takes all of his assets with him, yeah, right. Right? right? And I think right. this is one of the challenges is that women aren't trained to think about the fact that like you may have to support yourself all the way through. And it's, yep. it's much easier to stockpile whatever money you can in your 40s and in your early 50s than it is to try to go back and earn it in your 60s or your 70s as a woman. So that's that's the reality that I would say is try to maximize that 40 mm. to 55, make as much mm. money as you can, um, You know, have your kids pay for college or take on student loans. Please do not take on your own kids' student loans. That's another mm-hmm. subject mm-hmm. for another day
2: so that's I, I, the practical apropos of that i just as a side note there's been a, a raft of women who have poisoned their husbands recently uh, I've, <laughs> I've noted and but that's not the interesting part to me what's interesting to me is that the husbands talked about it prior to finally succumbing <laughs> it's like, it's like, one guy even went so far and these are professional people as to put a camera in the kitchen and he still drank the orange juice. I don't understand it, but anyway. <laughs>
1: hey, listen. Do we have a? Do we have a fire me? Do we have a fire me? Uh, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 do we do have a fire me, and um, it's super interesting to me about you. There was um um a famous quote about the three types of secrets, and uh, one type of secret is those we share, those I keep from you. And those about future events as yet unknown, meaning you just you can't tell what's going to happen. Right. So um, when when I I am uh, connected to a guy named John Nash, who's the uh, uh, he does uh, is a financial columnist uh, uh, on mixed martial arts, and he has gotten his hands on a tranche of documents connected to this Endeavor, which used to be William Morris, the big one, is biggest agency, probably the biggest agency in the world, um, and their recent purchase of WWE, uh, which has a CEO at multiple sex harassment cases, um, as well as uh, uh, the UFC, which has a CEO who on New Year's Eve was slapping his wife and kicking her on video. Um, so, uh, uh, but it's, it's interesting that essentially what they have figured out is that during the dry days of the UFC when John McCain was calling it human cockfighting, um, and they were fight, you know, it was illegal in places. They were shutting down events and arresting people. Um, what what uh, Dana White, who was the CEO of the UFC, the one who was slapping and kicking his wife on New Year's Eve, what he discovered is that the only person to kind of be interested in his property, one of the few people, was um, uh, Donald Trump,
0: yeah.
2: casino operator, and this is a friendship that's endured. But that, that's not even the point that I'm getting to. What, 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 it, what it has done is it's framed a workplace. It's a MAGA workplace. The UFC is a MAGA workplace. And people who advance the idea of MAGA living in any way, shape, or form up to and including being photographed with, uh, with uh, Andrew Tate, who's been arrested in Romania for uh, sex trafficking and is one of these uh, men's rights activist types, you know, um, or, or, or hang out with Kadriov in Chechnya, who is you know, running, uh, murdering, you know, gay gay people there. Um, They have not just implicitly, tacitly, but explicitly signed off on it at the same time. As they are, if you you have to go down deep in the paperwork where they have an official company policy, which is a, a pure CYA maneuver that we abhor racism, sexism, homophobia. We're all accepting, you know, but fuck wokeism. But we're all accepting, but you know. So it is clearly, it is clearly a case of a boss who is, um, who is what is that expression? Uh, talking out of both sides of his mouth in a professional setting that is to their is to their great benefit. They're covering their asses for lawsuits, but at the same time they're currying in favor who with the, who they think their their is. And it's really difficult and alienating for the portions of fans that they clearly don't care about or at least their fighters who they also don't care about. Um and it, it's 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 not a red light district sports thing because it's they're now owned and report to Ari Emanuel, who is the brother of Rahm Emanuel, former hotshot in many political, you know, Democratic administrations. But still, there are, everybody's like, what? Alfred e. Newman? What? Me? Worry? No. So um, the the fire me is uh, um, these guys have no protection. The fighters have no protection. The men, women fighters have no protection. They get 17% of the profits, which is like probably about 33% less than any other sport on the face of the earth. And, um, and nothing, nothing at all will change at this point now going to the UFC UFC is like going to a political rally for Trump. So, um, I, I'd, I'd like to have a fire me segment for Dana White. Um, I'd like to give him a hail hey, Hardy. Good job, buddy, but it's not really a good job you're doing. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a really bad job. It's bad for everybody. Oh. So that's my segment.
1: Okay. And then to talk a little bit about, um, some future things. As we mentioned, we're doing the Bad Boss Brief live in Seattle, June um, 7th, uh, Wednesday at six o'clock. It's free. You just go to Eventbrite. You can look at my social media, DNA, who is our host. And it was actually interesting because um, somebody sent uh, Alan, who runs DNA, who's, who's hosting us, an article by a guy named Jeff Hayden that says, if you have a bad boss, it makes you perform badly now. And that effect can last for up to 10 years. Yeah. So when we're talking about this sexism, we're talking about this kind of destructive behavior. Studies show that it can last, it can impact you as an employee negatively for up to a decade. And certainly while you're working for that bad boss, which I thought was interesting. So join us live. We will be there. And then again, as we mentioned at the the beginning, um, we're moving over to Substack. We are going to, this is going to be free. You can keep pairing bad boss brief free, but we're starting a new section called Sub Rosa. And we are taking uh, questions about bad bosses, about work, work advice that is going to be behind a paywall because we figure there's only going to be a few of us there and we can speak openly and freely. So if you have a question, uh, send it to WTF at badbossbrief.com. Let us know if it's a sub Rosa section, um, or if you just want us to talk about it generally. So I think that's it. Okay. Awesome. We will keep you posted. All right. That's it. Thank you very much. See you in a couple of weeks. Bye. (laughs)
0: Thank you for listening to the Bad Boss Brief with your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Pairolo. You can check out more of their work by visiting consigliera.substack.com for Stephanie and Eugene S. Robinson.substack.com for Eugene. You can also find Eugene at MrSleep3, that's the number three, on Instagram. Send us your questions or comments to WTF at badbossbrief.com. And be sure to join us right here on your favorite podcast platform for more insights every other week. Until next time, don't be an asshole at work.